Let's uh, take a few moments and go to God in prayer. Father, thank you for bringing us here this evening. Thank you for the joy of being gathered here with others, people who lift up your name, people who cry out to you, call on your name, people who you're calling to you, people who've been called to you, people who don't know they're being called to you, um, people who you love. Um, You love us, and thank you for your great love, and thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for the resurrection. Thank you for the season of um, reflection on on you as we look forward in a few weeks to celebrating the day of resurrection. Father, I pray that your voice would be heard here tonight, that only your voice would be heard, that all other voices would um, be silenced, those that would speak against you, those that would destroy your work, those who would um, lead us from your presence. Father, we pray that you would send your spirit to enlighten our hearts so we would hear you and your word. And Father, I pray that I would be useful to you, um, that you would use me, and that those things that I say that are not from you would simply fall away and not be heard, and those that are from you um, would go through me and uh, into the ears and hearts and lives of those you love. I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. We're working through a sermon series for Lent uh, this season before Easter where we reflect on our state, on our status before God, on who we are, and um, as we look at our sin and um, the suffering and pain that we've caused, uh, as we look at um, this season, it's a time, um, we've decided this year, a time of rest, concentrating on rest, and we've preached on the different things that would help you to rest, to be at peace, to be um, to be knowledgeable about your condition, but also to be knowledgeable about the grace of God. Um, I'm going to speak from two passages tonight as we look at rest from the from the aspect of being part of community. Um, and um, these are, are two passages where we start looking at um, the, our desire to be um, a follower of Jesus, but that we don't do that individually, but we do that in community. The first passage I'd like to read is Ephesians 1, verses 15 through 23. Ephesians 1, 15 through 23 reads as follows. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? 
according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And then these words from Romans 12, starting with verse 3, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us then let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink, for by so doing you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So tonight we're talking about finding rest in community. Last, last week we talked about finding rest in relationships and, and the relationships that God calls us to. Uh, we find rest when we have trusted friends, um, but not just any kind of friend that we trust, but friends who invite us to consider the resurrection, who believe and trust the gospel. Uh, we heard last week that bad company corrupts a good character, and not the inverse of that. We talked about the importance of having close friends who call us to trust Jesus, and that we find in those relationships rest, that we find those relationships restful, because we can comfortably be assured that those who are close to us are going to uh, call us to trust the goodness of God. Tonight we're going to look at community, 
We're going to look at the community that we're in and how that too allows us to rest. It's a place of rest. This place is a place of rest. Many of you signed the membership covenant here at the village. And uh, in doing that, you've declared that you're part of this community. I have a cousin, my cousin Marla, raise your hand. Um, this is my cousin Marla. She looks just like me. She's a Hugan. Um, it's kind of, she doesn't look this way. But she's nice and good looking and all that, right? It's not even close, huh? Um, I, when I was showing them around, I was showing her some of the ways in which we join in. We have these things up on the wall, this font that we created. There's some puzzle pieces out there. There's other things. That, there's this piece here where we brought things that represent who we are, and we brought those, and, and, and we declared that we're part of this community, that we're, that we're part of the village. Some of you struggle with the idea of membership. It's hard for you. You want to be independent. You want to be, you want the flexibility of independence. You kind of kick against the idea of joining anything. You like having options and ways out. And um, Paul reminds us that while all that is a very American, Paul doesn't remind you that it's an American ideal, but I'm reminding you that it's an American ideal. Um, you have this, uh, we have this ideal in America that, that we can be independent. And that's a, that's a beautiful American thing, but it has no place in the kingdom of God. None. You can't be a Christian and avoid being part of the body of Christ. To be rested, to find peace and rest, you need to do th two things to be part of this body. First of all, you need to recognize your place. You need to recognize your place. Christ is the head of the church, and you're part of the church. The church is the body of Christ. You can't be in Christ and be outside of the body. That doesn't work. You can be spiritual and religious and a really nice person and kind and thoughtful, but you can't claim to be a Christian and stand outside of the visual, earthly, living body of Jesus Christ. We are meant to be a community. We are meant to be a body. You can't have a disengaged arm sitting out here somewhere. I can't have a toe floating off here, you know. They did pull my eyeball out when they did sinus surgery on me years ago, but then they put it back because they couldn't disconnect it and let it float away. Was that a little gross? Sorry. Um, my, uh, my, my cousin's husband is a surgeon, and so I, you know, I was, we were talking surgery earlier today. That's why that leaps to mind. Uh, but it, we, I can't just have an eye out here. We're part of a body. It's all part of one thing, and that's what we're called to be. You, you can't live outside of that. You need to recognize that you're part of the body. You need to recognize your place in the body. The second thing that you need to do with respect to that is you need to submit to the headship of Christ. It is not enough to just recognize that you're part of the body. You also need to be in submission 
to the head of the body. True rest for us is found when we are in submission to the head of Christ, to the head which is Christ. I'm an old guy. Um, and I have seen several generations. I've seen, we were talking about my grandparents and my parents and my generation and whatever the next generation was called and, you know, the millennials and whatever your next ones are going to be. I've seen these generations unfold. And I, if I have anything against you 20 and 30 year olds, <laughs> it's you really have trouble submitting. Now the truth is, so did my generation. So does every generation. But you guys have become experts at not submitting to Jesus, to not submitting to that which is in authority over you. It's a powerful thing to submit. We think it will be costly, and it will be. We don't like it because it's painful, because it means we have to give up things. We don't get to have our way. We submit ourselves to the head, which is Christ. If you want as a community, and we want this church to be a part of this body of Christ, this community, if that's our desire, if that's how we live, if that's what we do, if that's who we are, then then we have to be in submission to the head. It is, it is Jesus Christ who directs us. We don't have our own ideas of how to do things. We don't have our own ideas about what Scripture says. We don't have our own ideas. We discern God's will in community, in the body, submitted to the head. The head is what directs us. And when we are in submission to it, when we bow our knee before it, when we say, your will be done, not mine. We do the Lord's Prayer. We did it uh, several times this evening. And so often we just kind of blithely go through that part, your will be done. Do you know what you're saying when you say that? Have you ever thought about what you're really saying when you say your will be done? What you're saying is, God, your will be done, not mine. Not my desires, not what I want. No, your will be done. Some of, some of us may want to rethink that when we say that. And if we're going to say it, we may want to say, you know what, I'm going to do that. I'm going to want God's will. The body of Christ is one body. We divide up the body. <laughs> we have denominations and divisions and individual expressions and uh, various church ideas, and I get all that. But the truth is there's only one body, one body of Christ, one body whose members are found everywhere. They're found all over the world. They're found throughout time and place and space. When we talk in the Apostles' Creed about the Holy Catholic Church, we're talking about Catholic with a small c, which is the universal church in all times, in all places, everywhere. And we're part of that. And that, in its entirety, composes 
the beautiful body of Christ. So what does the body look like? What's God inviting us into? When he calls us to be part of the body, what are we? What do we do? What does it look like? First of all, to be part of the body of Christ and to find rest in being part of the body, we become people who are humble. Humility, it says in Romans, that's a big deal. Humility is not really thinking about yourself and all your needs and all your desires. Humility is thinking about others, putting others um, better than yourself, the scripture says. Imagining them as better than yourself. Most of us are really good at ranking people. We, we have good people, bad people. We have people that empower us, people who don't. We, have, we, we put people in, in rank. This causes stress in our lives. <laughs> it really does. Because you have to know who you can offer what to, and, and you live in this kind of world of, of being scared of, is this person going to help me, hurt me, whatever. Um, it's stressful. It's stressful to know where our place is in the community then. But imagine if you imagined, and if you believed, and if you treated everyone as better than yourself. Then you know your place. All stress is gone. Right? I'm last. The body of Christ is always being last. It's about, if you, some of you would like to lead in this church. You know how you lead? You do what Eric does every Sunday night, and you take garbage to the street. You come in and clean the bathrooms. You serve. You make yourself smaller. Then you don't have any stress at all. Because you always know who the greatest is and who the least is. It's restful to know that you're the least. It really is. The body is uniquely gifted. That's the next section. We're, we each bring important elements to the body. Spiritual gifts allow us to have a well-functioning body. It's restful to offer that which you've been given. Each of us have gifts, gifts that are important for the body. And when I say each of us have gifts, some of you have immediately discounted that in your head. Some of you have said, I don't have anything to offer. I don't really have much. I'm not special. Some of you think, I'd only be okay if I was preaching. I'd only be okay if I was, could cook like the cooks. I, if I could only do this other thing, if I only had this gift or that gift, then I'd be okay, but I don't. But the beauty of spiritual gifts is that they're given to everyone. Jesus pours them out on us. The Spirit guides us in them. Each of you have a gift, and when you neglect the use of your gift, you're hurting the body. And that causes stress, and it's not restful. But when you walk and work in the gifts that God's given you, you find rest and peace. You find comfort in knowing that you're doing what God designed you to do. Now, if you need help determining what that is, you ask. 
You ask others in the community who have discernment, the gift of discernment, and they help you. The other thing that marks the body of Christ and that allows us to find rest is genuine love. Love for for one another comes out of our experience of God's love. Despite all the different kinds of love in the Greek and all the different ways in which we think about love, all love flows from God. God is love. It's his essence. It pours out of him. He cannot help but love. It is not possible for God not to love. Scripture tells us that he is love and that that love pours out of him and it pours into us and overflows us and flows out of us. Hate is stressful. Apathy is stressful. Love is restful. Hate and apathy are stressful. Rest is found in loving others, offering God's love to each other. Holding to good. We find rest when we hold to good. Sin avoidance is tiresome. It wears us out. Rest is found in pursuing and holding on to good. Being a good neighbor. Being a good friend. Being a good son or daughter, good parent or child. Offering good things to others. It is restful to hold to goodness. When we were kids, my mom used to sing um, the song, Hold fast to the right, hold fast to the right, wherever your footsteps may roam. Oh, forsake not the way of salvation, my boy, that you learned from your mother at home. That was my mom, scared because I was her kid, and worried that I would drift away. Worried that I would not do and be good. And it was her little way of saying, hold fast to the right. Hold fast to goodness. Take hold of goodness. I noticed you always sang that to me and didn't sing it to my sisters or brother. But anyway, um, it's, it's important to take hold of what is good. We find rest when we're pursuing good, not when we're just trying to avoid evil. Do that. Avoid evil. But do that by pursuing good. Another way to rest is to honor others. Seeking to be honored is tiring. Seeking for others to be honored offers beautiful opportunities for rest. The very best way to rest is to honor others. And the best way to honor others is to seek what's good for them, to note what's good about them, to see them and say, when you follow Jesus in this way, when you do this thing, it's beautiful. Certainly the best way for others to be honored is for you to honor them. Are your eyes open to the people around you, to the community around you, and you bring them honor? 
For most of my life, I've pursued what I call the clapping gods. <laughs> they want they would clap for me. I wanted them to clap for me. I wanted to be famous. I wanted to be noticed. I wanted to be rich. I've mentioned before that a few years ago at the Synod of the Christian Reformed Church, the annual denominational meeting, I stood up and read a poem, and I got a standing ovation. And it was great. And the first thought that I had at the end of that standing ovation was, wow, that was awesome. And my second thought was, I wonder what I'd have to do to get one of those again. Right? Because we like honor, we like prestige, we like to be recognized. But that's not the way of rest. That's the way of, of anxiety. The way of rest is to clap for others, to take joy in what they do. In Romans, Paul tells us to rejoice and to be fervent, to be zealous and take joy. We find rest when we take delight in God's goodness. When we take joy in the hope that he's granted us. There is rest in rejoicing. It's hard to rejoice sometimes. We get in circumstances that are difficult and it's hard for us to say, Oh, I'm going to seek and find joy. It's hard for us to be zealous. I was laughing because I'm at the age now where an afternoon nap is a really cool thing. And some of the zeal is gone, right? Some of the passion is gone. But then I'm sitting with my cousin, who, by the way, I haven't seen since we were like eight or ten years old. Like we, It's been a long time. And... And we're talking about that, and then all of a sudden I'm talking about you, and I'm talking about the church, and I'm talking about the community, and all of a sudden I can't, blah, 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 and then I realize I've been dominating the conversation for the last half hour, telling them with delight and zeal and joy the gospel of God in you. There's rest and rejoicing. I didn't need a nap today. There's rest in being patient being patient in difficulties. Paul tells us to be patient when we are going through hardship. That kind of patience comes from a place of, of trust. Jesus reminds us that we will experience trouble in this world. He also reminds us that he's overcome the world. It is in the interval between the trouble that we are currently in and its eventual resolution that God calls us to be patient. You know what? It's really stressful to worry. My mom and I used to argue about this all the time. She'd say, well, somebody has to worry. And I'd say, no, really, Mom, nobody does. We don't have to worry. We can be confident in the goodness of God. And she would, you know, I'm the theologian, so she had to agree with me. Um, but... But we would argue about that a lot, right? It's stressful to worry. All your anxiety gets built up. But what happens if? What happens if this? What happens if that? And what about this? And this other bad thing could happen. And then the whole building could collapse and we could all die. Really? Yeah, that could all happen. 
it could be stressful. There's rest when we patiently wait for the goodness of God to be revealed. Because even if the building falls <laughs> and we're all crushed, hey, we get to go join mom and sing with her in front of Jesus. Awesome. You get to meet her. Be patient. It's restful. And pray. Talking to God and listening to his response brings peace and rest. Many of you know I have a, a little hot tub in the backyard that was a gift to us, a beautiful gift, and I've renamed it the prayer tub. Whenever I get a little anxiety going on, or whenever I, f I can't sleep in the middle of the night because I'm ADD and a little wacky, I go out there and pray. And peace settles on me. It's restful. It's quiet. And it's not just the water. That's nice. <laughs> not just the bubbles. That's nice. It's not just the starry night. That's nice. It's prayer. It's talking to God and listening for Him. To be part of the body, contributing is a big thing. F freely offering that which you've been given is restful. Hoarding, withholding, being selfish are all things that cause stress. Hanging on to stuff. You, you ever see the Hoarders television show? Anybody watch that? Like it's, it's just... Right, right. Anybody, any, maybe some of you are hoarders. I, I, I have those tendencies, right? You should see my garage. Good heavens. Uh, I didn't show that to my cousin because um, <coughs> we throw everything out there, right? Um, it's, it's stressful. It's stressful because there's all this stuff and you've got to do this. It's, give it away. Offer to others. Freely offering that which you've been given is restful. Be generous. Then show hospitality. True hospitality is offering your best to others. Rest is offering yourself without reservation. Being hospitable. Now I know all you people who are stressed out by having people over to your house or whatever it is are thinking, <gasps> I can't do that. That would be too stressful. That wouldn't be restful. True hospitality is offering your best to others. Your best to others. Rest is offering yourself without reservation. There's a person who's part of the village who years ago we were doing this thing where we were having people come over to our house for dinner and there were people who said, you can't have, I can't have people over to my house for dinner because you can't believe what I eat for dinner, nor can you believe that I have a house because I don't. I have one of those little one, I don't even have a one bedroom. It is a efficiency, I have an efficiency apartment. I have two chairs and my bed. And all I normally eat is, you know, noodles, um, and uh, mac and cheese and hot dogs. I can't be hospitable. So I said, invite me over, because I love hot dogs 
and I love ramen noodles, and I love mac and cheese. And then let's invite somebody else over. And he goes, well, there's no place to sit. I said, we'll sit on the bed and we'll sit on the floor. Offer what you have. And he did. And it was a beautiful evening. You don't have to offer what other people have. You don't have to offer some best, some ideal out there. You just offer who you are. Bless others. Hold loosely what you've been given. Bless even those who curse you. Instead of angst about fairness and rightness, you will enjoy peace when you bless others. My friend who's been visiting here for the last few weeks, he's soon heading off to Bozeman, Montana to, to take an interim pastor position there. Um, Gil Camps, many of you have met him. He was talking to me about, I was just asking him about some of the things he noted about the village, and he said, some of you don't know how to receive a blessing. I said, that's weird. He says, Rod, whenever you put your hands up, people put their hands up like that too. He says, well, you can't receive anything with your hands are up. This is how you receive things. You put your hands out. When you bless someone, you hold your hands up and they're free, you freely drop stuff into them. And when you receive things, you catch them. Isn't that beautiful? That was really helpful to me. And you guys need to correct your behaviors, okay? Because... <laughs> Because you don't get this right, you know? And it was noticeable. Now, it's noticeable to him because it was pointed out to him a long time ago, and he's just remembered it. But I thought it was beautiful. God is above us, and he's generously pouring out things on us. And then we receive them. So we have this position of receiving God's blessing. And when we receive God's blessing, by the way, he said, at the end, you could all, when you bless me back, you can put your hands up then because you're offering then God's blessing, right? Calling down God's blessing. Anyway, we'll work it out. Um, the beautiful thing about blessing is, is that it's not about fairness. It's about generosity. It's about pouring out. Scripture says to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with the weepers. Being part of the community, it's restful when you're the bride and you remember the person who's sad because she longs to be married and isn't, and you can lay aside your joy for a moment and weep with her. And if you're lonely, the lonely bridesmaid, you can lay aside your sadness for a moment and laugh with the bride. Rest is found when you join in weeping and rejoicing. Harmony, living in harmony with others. Finding your voice, seeking to find common things in unity rather than concentrating on what divides. There are so many things that divide us. Rest is found in harmony. It's fun to listen to Keith uh, and his uh, barbershop quartet at the party last night. Beautiful harmony, working together instead of working in opposition. Doesn't mean we all have the same role. There's a tenor, there's a bass, there's a... But, but what's re the result is living in harmony together. To do that, there's free association. It's not just hanging out with the rich or the poor or people who play video games or people who don't or people who, who uh, you have affinity for or people who you like or don't like. Don't play favorites. Don't only pursue beneficial relationships. Be unaware of status. It's restful when you simply enjoy everyone. Paul says, no revenge. Vengeance belongs to God. Getting even kills you. Let go of your demand for justice for yourself. 
It will consume your life. Rest is found in letting go of your demand for personal justice. God will make things right. Trust he will. Live peacefully. Be a peacemaker. Make peace. Make it your longing to find peaceful relationships. Rest is found there. As much as it lies in you, Scripture says, live at peace with everyone. It's a longing to be at peace. (laughs) It's not a goal, because it depends on other people. Not everyone's going to live at peace with you, but as much as it lies with you, live at peace. And then do good to your enemies. Don't offer evil because you've received evil. Doing good to enemies is restful, despite how it seems. And it also invites your enemy into a place of grace. Those are beautiful, and those, don't they feel kind of onerous? Doesn't it feel like a burden? Here's the gorgeous part. You can't get it right. You can't do this stuff. All the stuff you can you just can't do it. This church isn't perfect. It's flawed. It's screwed up. It's messed up. We don't get it right. We're blemished. It's not the way it's supposed to be. The grace of Jesus, the beauty of what he offers, the resurrection, the power of the resurrection is that despite our not getting it right, he calls us and loves us. I love how the Song of Songs, the Song of Solomon um, starts out in chapter 1, verses 5 through 6. The bride, the, the girl that the, that the king is pursuing, describes herself this way. She says, I'm very dark but lovely, O daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon. Do not gaze at me because I am dark, because the sun has looked upon me. She's not the ideal. She's not the perfect bride. A perfect bride for Solomon would have been the one who was fair-skinned and gorgeous and beautiful and had all these wonderful things, all these wonderful qualities. Not someone who was working out in the fields and sunburned and, and you know, blotchy skin. and It just... She wasn't pretty in that sense. But the king declared her beautiful. The king describes her in ways that she isn't. He calls her beautiful. And Christ Jesus calls his church beautiful. He declares us to be beautiful. He is making us pure and righteous. And he calls us into doing these things and to living this way because he loves us. Take delight in that. Find rest in that. In the goodness of God, knowing we're flawed, but also knowing that his grace is sufficient. Let's pray. Father, thank you for for your church. 
Thank you for your body. Thank you that you declare it good and righteous and beautiful. That you love it with your whole being, with all that you are. And that you call us to serve you and love you. Father, help us to be the kind of community that rests and finds peace and finds joy in your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen.